I spent many sleepless nights wondering how in the world I was ever going to get that student loan paid off. What seemed like uh, an easy task when I first started medicine became this unbelievable anchor around my neck uh, as the days and years and weeks went by. Um, I would make my payments faithfully even above what I would normally pay. Um, and it seemed like I could never make a dent in the student loan. And then, of course, life happens sometimes, and I needed to take a, a leave of absence secondary to an injury that uh, left me unable to work. And lo and behold, I put my loans on forbearance. And three months later, the interest I accrued was another $10,000 slapped onto that loan. Wow. And not only once did that happen, but twice in my career, taken out by injury two different times. And that interest is accrued on a daily basis. So you're paying interest on interest every day. And it became so discouraging that I began to feel like a, a, an indentured servant to medicine. Sure. Like in order to pay the loan, I had to make a certain salary in order to, to live my life, pay the loan and deal with all my expenses. And I knew that there was nothing I could do besides medicine in order to earn the kind of income that would allow me to do that. And so what happened is I started to become more and more anxious and resentful uh, at medicine itself because I felt like a servant. I didn't feel like it was any longer a choice. Uh, I started to feel victimized by the, the whole uh, idea of the student loan never going away, by the idea of needing to keep working in the ER, even though I had reached a point of burnout. And I really didn't see any any tangible way out. Yeah. Um, and I became more and more anxious, more and more sleepless nights. Um, and it, it seemed like a never ending cycle. Is that how you started this modality that you've developed that borrows techniques from both EMDR and the behavioral cognitive modalities to help so many other people? So I developed a program to help with anxiety and depression. And part of that program involves dealing with a trauma. And trauma comes in many forms, big trauma, little trauma. Either way, it has the same impact on the nervous system. And I developed a technique that allows you to identify your trauma and then to process through the emotions related to that trauma to get to a point of resolution where you can uh, actually identify the trauma impact, the lies you've believed as a result of the trauma, and then be able to start replacing it with truth and with action to come to a point of resolution. That's so marvelous. Ladies, we're really fortunate today on Single Mom MD podcast to have the wonderful Dr. Christy Walter join us. She is a 20-year ER physician now working in Florida and Missouri, and she's going to talk with us more about the trauma and drama of student loans and anxiety, help us with some ways to overcome them, and also give us some financial tips and techniques to reduce anxiety that you may not have heard from before, and then we'll make sure you know how to reach her. Welcome to Single Mom MD. We bond together in this community to help single moms, both MDs and DOs, get the support we need when we need it. I'm Dr. Gail Clifford, and I'm here to help my colleagues have an easier time of it than I did. Enjoy the podcast and join us in the Single Mom MD community. Dr. Christy, you are so right. When I first got out of residency, my internal medicine residency, my husband had chosen a private practice for me in Southern Illinois, partially because it was the best paying. Everybody then was making about 120000 a year. 
and I had negotiated 160,000. But my quarter million of student loan debt was between 18 and 22%. And so my husband and I paid $50,000 after taxes from that 160,000. But my interest went up, my principal because of the interest went up $2,000. And my husband and I just looked at each other, we're like, this is impossible, we'll never get out from under this. Is that what you've experienced? Definitely. I, I felt like I would pay and pay and pay. I'd make even extra balloon payments. And I'd look at my statement and it either hadn't moved or went up, like you said, or barely went down. And this is years into it and experiencing that same frustration month after month after month. And that's not even when you were off because you were injured. No, no, not, not at all. This was working full speed ahead and contributing as much as possible. And yet it still didn't seem to make a dent. It's so and I even refinanced it at a lower interest rate sure. through some of the loan programs there are for student loans. And it still didn't make a difference. Right. Yeah. I, 20 plus years to pay it off, probably over a million dollars in accrued interest between the principal and the interest before all was said and done. I'm right there with you. It was 23 years for me and 1.3 million. And I got that paid off just in time for my daughter to go to school. And I paid 1.3 million for her school in real time. So I was working two different jobs, uh, working every week instead of week on week off as a hospitalist. So I can definitely understand that pain. How do you help those of us that suffer that trauma um, and have that anxiety? How, how do you get started with us when we join your practice? Sure. First, I would like to say that you're not a victim. Um, you're not a victim of medicine, of the student loan, or even of your own anxiety around it. Um, there are ways to gain mastery, and there are some practical tips and tools that you can use uh, and implement in order to get out from the, the intensity of the emotions and the frustration. Um, one thing I suggest, and I'm sure you did this, because I, I know I did, um, but in the beginning, it's very tempting to want to buy the home, want to buy the car, sure. because after all, you do deserve it. You went through this horrific thing called medical school and residency. Right. I caution against doing that, however, at least not the expensive home or the expensive car, sure. because what you would be putting into payments toward the mortgage or the car payment or the big vacation you could be socking into your loans. So if you live well under your means when you first get out and put as much as you can, as aggressively as you can into that loan and try and have a goal and maybe a three-year or five-year goal to pay that off. And then once that's gone, the freedom to do what you want to do will be there. You won't have that thing hanging over your head and over your life. That albatross. I definitely understand. I know the, the white coat investor, the orthopedist who's been on so many podcasts, he says, give yourself a 50% raise. So if you're making $50,000 in residency and you know what you can afford, how you can afford to live on that, go into and act as if you have a $75,000 salary instead. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things I learned too, especially because I had a small child is that it's important to make sure you pay enough for their school or put enough aside for them. Because my concern became, especially after I lost my husband so young, was what happens if I pay off all my student loans? And so that's zero, but I have nothing saved. And then, yes. I, and then I die, whether I drop dead or get killed, and then there's nothing for her. So I did learn that I had to balance. And fortunately, now I'm at a point where I understand real estate syndication. So maybe mm -hmm. a balance between the two so that you know you have the nest egg in case you get injured. 
And then the secondary thing is enough to make sure you support your family in addition to whatever they might might get from, say, life insurance. Because if you're disabled, I was disabled through part of my daughter's uh, high school, and I really felt like being dead would have been easier for her. If I had just been dead, at least it wouldn't be a financially draining proposition. So along those lines, it sounds like you've done some similar things as far as um, divvying up your money into different pots, if you will, to make sure you get the payments done. Definitely. I'm better about it now than early on. Uh, there were many factors that contributed to that. But I do encourage, in addition to paying down that student loan as quickly as possible, uh, saving along the way as, as well. What I did uh, or have adopted uh, is tithing 10%, saving 10%, and then putting as much uh, as possible into the loan. Can you tell me, was that um, saving 10% in addition to any retirement plan that your employer had, or have you always been self-employed? That was in addition to what my employer was putting into a retirement plan. Perfect. Okay. And so if there was more money, I guess my question is, if you wanted to put more money in, number one, were there some discretionary funds you would use or would you get an extra job or take a few extra shifts and put that money towards your student loans? Great question. So I would probably put a limited amount into the employment retirement account and divert, divert that more so into the student loan early on. Uh, you have time for the retirement account, but that student loan is accruing interest every day. And then what I fell into... Um, my husband at the time convinced me that we needed to get the big home oh. in order to have a tax shelter. Well, that was $5,000 a month payment that came every 30 days. Ouch. That half of that could have been going into my student loan had we gotten something more reasonable, which is what I wanted to do. But anyway, I, you know, I didn't set boundaries around that or stick to my guns, which I should have. Yeah. That's, that's one of the valuable things we live and learn. So, yes. but definitely a good tip for the audience. You know. And another tip, and this is important too, especially just coming out of residency, I would, uh, if your employer doesn't offer it, look into getting disability insurance, physician disability insurance specifically, because if you're uh, stuck with a prolonged protracted illness or some type of injury that takes you out, for me, you know, as an ER doctor, I don't work, I don't get paid. Right. Yeah, I actually had um, disability insurance through my employer, was injured at work, and neither work comp nor the disability insurance covered it because work wow. comp claimed it wasn't them and disability insurance said it was work comp. So I was off for a year and nearly went bankrupt the year my daughter was a senior in high school. So it's devastating when you That's even awful. pay the money to have own occupation and they still manage to finagle a way around. So I think the other thing with that is um, – if you don't already have a lawyer, go to Legal Shield, which is a monthly subscription service for an attorney. So you can call them whenever. And if they don't know how to fix it, they get you somebody who will. I really like that service. So I'm not attached to them in any way. I just really like them. So we're trying to live our lives. We're trying to recover from the trauma and drama of medical school, residency, student loans. I don't know about you, but when I was first out, my private practice hours were ridiculous. I was on call always. So I had like two weekends a month off. Otherwise, I was on for all of my patients 168 hours a week. So how do you recommend that people just first getting out of training and into practice? You know, they're so excited. They're finally making money. And yet they still have that that albatross 
or that um, it's almost like the the death scythe, you know, ready to chop off their head <laughs> with the student loans. You know, what kind of recommendations do you have for us right away? So it is still important to take care of yourself. Yes. You can't work all the time. Um, and you need to be intentional about your downtime. Schedule it in if necessary. Absolutely. But there needs to be time for self-care. Otherwise, you will burn out. And if you uh, if you if you don't burn out in terms of your your mental state, something will happen physically because your body can't maintain that kind of schedule indefinitely. You right. know, I mean, we did it through residency because we had no choice. Right. But to continue that in a protracted way it can be harmful to your body and your mental state. Sure. There's only so long adrenaline can work, right? That's right. And then, of course, there's always the danger of your family being affected. So what do you have when you have patients come into you, whether they're physician patients or other patients, and it's really the trauma of being, and it's almost like being an adrenaline junkie, we've worked so hard, and the effects that has on our families. How do you help redirect that? That's, that's a tough question. So we are kind of adrenaline junkies in a sense, because we are going from crisis to crisis to crisis. Right. And in that heightened you know, state of uh, having a stress response, constantly on yeah. uh, and what happens oftentimes is when we're going and going like that at work and we're giving and giving by the time we get home we're pretty empty and irritated irritated sometimes irritable and that can come out uh, in sideways on our families yeah that's always hard so what kind of things do you like to use to recommend how we get past it so leaving work at work. <laughs> That's a good one. So hard for some of us, isn't it? it? It definitely is. You know, that case that you're, you perseverate on when you get home. It's like, I should have done that. Did I do that? Did I, you know, order this test? Uh, I know sometimes I came home feeling that way or you're coming home after you've witnessed a major trauma or lost a patient. Uh, I mean, that can be devastating and cumulative over time. So it's important to process through those incidences as they come up. That's so important. I know, you know, sometimes it's joyful when you've got that 2 a.m., you wake up and you have that realization of what disease the patient has, and you can actually still make a difference. But there's nobody outside of medicine that I know that can understand the trauma when you lose a patient, you know, and in the ER, you see atrocious things. As a hospitalist, yes. they're sometimes minimally less atrocious, um, but at least you've taken care of it first and stabilized them as best possible. So I definitely appreciate that. Um, what's the next step that you would take? So what I would do differently, because I, I didn't put this into practice earlier in sure. my life, uh, I would have worked a little bit less, taking, mm -hmm. you know, not taking those extra shifts, still being aggressive toward paying down the loan. Um, but I would have taken a few less shifts and I would have built into my schedule uh, downtime, doing things that I enjoy that are fun. Did you not taking that family vacation where you're, you know, dragging the kids along and you're <laughs> responsible for all this stuff because that's not a restful period of time. Sometimes right. it requires uh, uncoupling from your activities, from your family, and finding that thing that brings you peace and joy and fulfillment and can take you out of your head and bring you into the moment where you can get back in touch with your authentic self. 
That's great advice. And I know one of the problems that I had my first year out, I actually had a couple hours off and I went home because my husband was home with the baby. And we just looked at each other and we were like, we don't know what to do. And it's the most ridiculous thing. You've got three hours and you don't know what to do. So I finally forced myself to make a list. But what we did that day was go do chores. It's like, it's, I mean, it's useful. But what I learned is that I really needed to make a list of what I enjoyed doing when I was 12 or 13 years old and figure out what can I do during a day? What can I do during an afternoon? What can I do during a weekend? And mm-hmm. do those things instead. So whether it was reading a book or crafting or photography or travel, at least we could get some of those things in. Is that something you might have done? Most definitely. You know, I know it's easy to say I don't have time for that. Sure. However, not making the time now can cost you later. So on a daily basis, I currently, and I would have uh, benefited from doing this earlier on in my career, but I take, it doesn't have to be protracted time. I take anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes and I like to do art Nice. and I do art and that helps de-stress me. It helps uh, me get grounded. It kind of activates the parasympathetic nervous system. Some oxytocin gets flowing. Um, it may be something different for, for other people. Um, and I encourage you to find something that doesn't necessarily require a lot of effort. That's a great, that in itself can become a chore, right? If it takes too much to get it together, you just can't do it. If that's really. So it sounds with the art that you do, it's really nice because you have the supplies in a relatively contained space. And I know one of the other things you recommend is people getting out in nature. Definitely. So whether it's a hike or a walk or a bike ride, whatever works. I know some of my colleagues um, and friends will have like a map of all the best hiking trails and mark them off one by one after they have hiking boots and water and sunscreen and a hat in their car so they can do it uh, really quickly and simply. So I I think that point is really well taken. Um, What else can you tell us about the trauma of or anxiety you think caused by student loans when we just can't get under out from under that albatross? Sure. So the anxiety and the, the trauma around the student loan is largely fueled by feeling out of control. Sure. Like you have no control over the situation. And I would like to encourage everybody and tell them that you can have control. And one way of doing that would be to uh, take some time when you're not in a very heightened, anxious state and take an honest look at your finances and create a budget Mm -hmm. and live according to the budget. And that doesn't mean it has to be horribly restrictive so much as truly intentional. Intention uh, is the key. Uh, Intentionality about everything in your life really is important. Uh, Things don't just happen by happenstance. They, They require energy and input in order to get the outcome that you desire. That makes perfect sense to me. And one of the things we talk about in our community is the importance of instead of saying, I don't have enough money or I can't afford that, change it to, I choose not to spend the money I have on that. So it definitely reframes it. Yeah. And that reframing is important. There's more to it than, than meets the eye. Um, I can't afford it. Uh, it's kind of a poverty mindset and a lack mindset. Whereas uh, reframing that to I choose not to um, is more empowering. Plus, I think if our belief system truly states that I can't afford it, I don't have, we're actually going to manifest more of that lack in our life. 
I think that's so true. And we really work towards a, a generous or an abundance mindset. Because I think if you're constantly telling yourself you can't afford it, you're also getting this message intentionally or not that you don't deserve it. And as you so eloquently put it earlier, of course you deserve the nice house. Of course you deserve the nice car. Of course your kids deserve everything. That doesn't mean you can afford it right now legitimately. And I, I don't mean that you can't afford it in a lack sense, but in a for your long-term self-preservation you choose intentionally to put the money towards savings for the kids' school or an emergency fund and paying off the student loans over buying the house that's the $5,000 mortgage a month. Right. It's all about choice. Exactly. And, and you do have the ability to choose, you know, because and you need to think about choosing for the long term. And that's really what you're doing is you're blessing and gifting your future self. That's a beautiful way to look at it. I really like that a lot. And especially with my audience with single moms and their kids, it's also teaching them that same thing. Like that you can actually have fun saving money and mm -hmm. buying, you basically fixing your menu based on whatever's on sale at the grocery store that week. And so you might still have wonderful meals. It's just kind of the grocery store or the garden. Uh, the local uh, garden is helping you decide. So you'll have this abundance of fruits and vegetables during that season. And, you know, maybe somebody will have an extra cow and you can buy half a cow or whatever it is and put it in, <laughs> right, right. in your freezer and you can eat whatever it is you want. Yeah, I think the, the bottom line is you're exactly right. It is all about choice. And I, I, um, I know when I was in that position, I sure didn't feel like I had any. But that was long before mm -hmm. social media and um, that ability to connect with other like minded people or people in similar situations across the country existed. Mm -hmm. So is that how you find that you're finding that most people are finding you? Is it through social media or because the technique that you have um, really it's trauma transformation, I think, to yes. um, help people. So how is it that that uh, my audience or other people can find you? I love your your moniker, the doggone depression. I, I think that's fabulous. But is that the best way or are you finding people reaching you other ways? So there's a lot of word of mouth uh, that people have found me just in my local community, but also people are finding me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, and then connecting with my website. Excellent. And are you finding that, um, did you start this in person or have you always done it on Zoom or a different uh, platform? So while I was developing the program materials, the actual content of my lessons, I was, uh, I had some beta subjects if you will nice. were my practice people sure and uh, uh so i worked with them in person with my materials and as i created the materials i created the videos to go with the materials and the pdfs and the homework assignments so i kind of created it in person but because i want it to be available to as many people as possible i created it so it can be an online experience with also interactive group coaching so there is um, time that I spend with my people in a group coaching format. That's awesome. And I know it probably won't be long before you get to the point you're not going to be able to spend very much time with any individual. So group coaching is going to be the best way to reach you. I know in one of the conferences that we shared uh, probably earlier this month that you said you can actually get people through the trauma of what they've done, even in as quickly as an hour session. That, that you can help them identify it. And it's not that they're over it completely, but they really can put it back in its proper place. I, I find that just both 
admirable and astonishing. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I'm astonished by it as well. It, it all occurred during a one-on-one -on -one session I was having with one of my beta clients and she had just had a traumatic experience that was triggering all sorts of childhood memory stuff. Sure. And so as we were talking, I said, I have an idea I want to try. <clears throat> and so we did this process that I created and she went from highly charged, crying, panicked, anxious within 50 minutes. She went from that to neutral. Wow. That's amazing. I was shocked. And I thought, well, this is, probably a fluke but then I reproduced that with several other people and I did it on myself as well wow and in fact I can everybody I've done it with so far has gotten to a place of neutral that's amazing sincerely so that's enough reason for people to to reach out to you just on that alone and so right now at the current time do you still take a few one-on-one -on -one clients or is it really one to one to many with the groups in addition to um, your class I, I'm coursework. still taking a few one-on-one -on -one clients, okay. uh, but that space is rapidly being uh, taken. The rapidly diminishing. Yes. yes because because I still do work in the emergency department. Right. And, and I do that as, as a locum's position, partially so I can have more control over my schedule. Yeah. Um, but so I, my time is divided. Yeah, but I think that's good because that way you have the not only the creativity to grow your own business and help so many people this way, but keep your hand in with your skills. You're, you're yes. still too young to be retiring from medicine, right? I agree. Yes. And you know, now that my student loan is paid off. Oh, yes. I love medicine now. Isn't that one of the most rewarding things? It's like once you get to the point where you don't have to work, then you actually want to work. Exactly. And you that's can find exactly the joy again. Happened. Yeah. Finding that joy with your colleagues and with your patients and the nursing staff, you know, the entire hospital community, it's really a wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. But there's still some times that I say, okay, I need to work four shifts just to pay for all of the family's expenses for the month. But after those four shifts, I'm like free as a bird. So yeah, the freedom that comes with that being paid off is unbelievable. Yeah. So I had no, I really had no idea how, how cumbersome and, and how oppressive it was. And it's amazing because each of us took 20 years to pay it off. So to yeah. be able to help people get it taken care of sooner makes a big difference too. Definitely. So one of the other things that we've discussed is the possibility since our audience is single mom physicians like me, um, is what happens when you want to date again, because I hope that everybody has love. And I know it's been short supply for me because I was so focused on paying off the student loans and taking care of our child, the, the child my husband and I had together, as well as his stepdaughter, and then all the foster kids I took care of, that I never really allowed myself to love. But I was also fearful about what that man might bring to the household that wouldn't be okay for my daughter or would be more more of a pain than it was worthwhile. So it sounds like you had kind of a similar experience, even though you didn't have a child involved. Can you share about that? Yes. And I had heard about this happening to physicians, but didn't believe it. Um, I found myself twice actually uh, dealing with a similar scenario. And that was um, both of my husbands at some point felt that they did not need to work. Crazy, right? And and presumably yes. they had worked when you met them. Yes, both of them successful, working, doing very well. Yeah, I and, can't imagine being attracted to them otherwise, you know. 
Sure. And, yeah. and then it became that I made so much in comparison to what they made that they didn't feel the need to, to work. Wow. Um, my second husband actually became disabled. And I say that with quotations because the disability he had was headaches, which he had worked 25 years with prior to. Mm. And then he's with me and six months in, he can't. And so, you know, being a physician and an empath, I wanted to help. Sure. Well, I didn't set a boundary or a precedent early on. And so it became a prolonged deal where I was the primary breadwinner. And when those relationships ended, um, I took a financial hit both times. Sounds and like my second husband took me for 50% of my retirement, more than half the house, Wow. Um, amongst other things. And had he been really vindictive, he could have tagged me for alimony. Wow. That's and a that's a very real potential problem. And as a successful professional, you need to take action ahead of time. I don't care how great the guy is, how in love you are, um, what the moral fiber of that individual is, you never know. Right. And so I, if I had it to do over, I would have gotten a prenuptial agreement and a postnuptial agreement just to have extra protection. It's amazing. And, and I remember somebody saying to me, never marry anybody you wouldn't want to be divorced from. But, you know, when you're in love, you never think that's a possibility, right? Right. We've, we've talked about boundaries and I know that's something I struggle with because I always like it, like you, I'm an empath and I want to be everything to everyone and, and be helpful. Um, but I've not, even now, I still haven't learned how to do boundaries well. I, I know this is a little bit off topic, but have you found a good way to, to set boundaries? Because I don't want my audience to be fearful of the next man that, that they might fall in love with. I agree with you about the prenuptial and a postnuptial if necessary. But what about setting boundaries? Any Any great ideas or references for us? Yeah, first I just want to add, don't ignore the red flags. Definitely. They're Trust there. your gut. Trust your gut. And, and uh, actually, if you want to look at that in terms of boundaries, that's a boundary with yourself. Very, and very if true. you are getting red flags and your gut is telling you, hey, maybe you need to be cautious, but you throw caution to the wind, you're not respecting your own, own value and your own boundaries. So uh, that's kind of where it needs to start. But boundaries really are about... Does the interaction or the situation bring you closer to peace or farther away from it? And if drawing you into chaos and confusion, that's a sign that you need to set, set a boundary, that you need to stop whatever's going on. And, and I like to tell people that no is a complete sentence. Yes. And that no does not need to be justified. You don't need to have a dissertation about why you need to say no, nor do you have to have the other person's buy-in. You don't have to convince them that it's okay to say no. That is awesome advice. I can't agree with you more. Alrighty. Boundaries are just so important and I know I'm terrible at setting them. So what do you recommend for your clients or patients as far as figuring out what boundaries are and you know how not to let people cross them on a regular basis? Sure. So I, I start with helping people identify what's important to them, what they truly value. I actually have this exercise. It's a simple exercise, but I have a list of 40 different words mm -hmm. and we, I've grouped them together. And by the time you've picked from those words, 
you can narrow it down to the top five that no. you use. So for example, um, I have a list of four words, acceptance, accountability, achievement, attitude. Of those four, what pops out at you as important? Then you write that down and you do that for a series of, of grouped words. And then you narrow it down to 10. And then from that 10, you narrow it down to, to five. So it's whatever is really speaking to you the most. Correct. Okay. Is this like the strengths and weaknesses um, profile? I know there was a book that you would take this test and it might give you your top 10, but traditionally your top five were within the top seven each time. Do you think that um, the things you value change on a regular basis or depending on where you on, are in life, or do you think it stays fairly stable or consistent throughout life? I think it can be malleable. Mm -hmm. You know, I think your, your core self is going to have some values that are not negotiable that carry with you through time, nice. but things will shift in importance during different stages of your life. So what you answer today may not be the same five years from now, but you need something to operate as a template from which to, to operate. Yeah. But and set if your boundaries. you don't know what you value, you're, you're going to be pulled here and there. Sure. Would you mind using your own as, as an example? Yeah, so my top values are a spirituality, mm -hmm. um, family, nice. peace. Oh, so valuable. Loyalty and transparency. Nice. I remember mine were, and off, not from your list, but from that test, uh, integrity, um, intelligence, excellence, and strategic thinking are the four that I always remember. I'm always like, I need to look at what that fifth one is. It wouldn't surprise me if it had to do with religion or faith. Um, but I think that falls into the integrity part for me. Sure, um, sure. But and even, it, the exercise may be very similar, sure. but it's, it's simpler. And, you know, anything that makes life simpler for us is, is definitely a, a great thing. So it can be done in five minutes. That's awesome. <laughs> Couldn't do better than that. You know, you can do that while you're waiting at a stoplight almost. Um, exactly. Not that I'm recommending it if you're driving the car. But um, so once you figure out what your values are, if you had any question about it or with this, I bet we can just confirm what we, anybody who thinks they know, they confirm what they know. How do you set your boundaries based on that? It sounds like, um, especially when you mention the importance of peace, um, not only in the world, but in your own life. Uh, I, I can't agree with you more because the sense of, you don't always have to be joyful. You don't always have to be happy, but if you can just be content, to me, that's mm -hmm. peace. I don't know if it means the same thing to you, but mm -hmm. can you speak more to that? Yeah, so for, for example, let's say I've had a busy day at work and I'm, I'm pretty fried, yeah. and there are competing uh, needs for my time. Right. And I have to ask myself in that moment, does me responding to this need right this second take me in or out of peace, in or out of rest? So it may be as simple as you're coming home from work and a family member or friend has asked you to go to the store for them and pick something up because you're on your way home anyway. Right. But if you're already spent and you have, uh, it's leading you away from rest and peace. Yeah. You know, you feel that little eh in your gut, like sure. seriously, really? I'm then say no. I can see everybody going, ah, but I probably would still do it. But I hear your point. It sets a precedent because if you say no, when you want to say no, yep. people are going to ask you less.
for things and they'll figure out how to do it on their own. That can be truly valuable. So I understand you're also a published author, which is amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Tell me about the book and, so and how we can find it. It's on Amazon, yes? Sure, yes, it's on Amazon. It's a true story. Uh, it's a kid's book, but actually it has a message for adults as well. It's about basically uh, a horse who was deemed uh, inferior compared to his counterparts and, and the belief and the perseverance of this little girl who found his uh, place in the world and they became champions together. And it is called An Unlikely Champion, The Story of a Horse and the Girl Who Loved Him. Written by Dr. Christy Walter. Yeah. Wonderful. And it's a, it's a true story about my horse and I growing up. Excellent. Well, I certainly hope that my listeners buy at least one, if not more books. Um, it comes, does it come in both soft cover and ebook or is it only on ebook? It comes in both. Oh, excellent. So they can buy a soft cover for each of their children. Yeah, that'd yeah. be awesome. That'd be perfect. Thank you. Dr. Christy, I'm so grateful to you for spending so much time with us. You've, you've given even more value than I could ever have anticipated, and we so greatly appreciate you. Do you have any closing thoughts for my audience of single mom physicians? First, I just want to say it's been an honor, and uh, thank you for bringing me on to your podcast. And I want to thank the audience and your single mom physicians. And I want to tell you that you are valuable, you are loved, you are worth it. And you deserve to be happy. Those are such wonderful sentiments and things we don't hear often enough. It's That's truly wonderful. Um, so I know your website is doggone depression, D-O-G-G-O-N-E, depression.com. And people can mm -hmm. reach you on Instagram and Facebook at doggone depression. Is that right? Correct. And within the website, even my phone number is there. And that's my direct number. You're not going to some call center uh, somebody else or some <laughs> call center right and also my email is within uh, the website as well thank you dr christy i so appreciate you thank you bye now i'm dr gail clifford and i look forward to hearing from you with questions and comments about this and future podcasts join the single mom md community by clicking on the link below we welcome you with regular engagement and personalized attention to your specific questions. When you think of additional topics you'd like covered on this podcast, contact me via social media at SingleMomMD.